Amen. Amen. You know, uh, God has done a great work in, in each one of our lives, and we understand that. And um, I want to I share something this morning with you, and, and you know, it's, it's on discipleship, and, and you may, um, I'm not sure exactly what you came to hear today, but um, I, I hope that this speaks to you because it is the truth. And, uh, you know, are you, are you ready for some truth? I mean, we get lied to all the time, and we just need some of the truth. And, and um, you know, this morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, and uh, if you would get your uh, scripture out and turn to that, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, verse uh, 31 through 38, and we're going to be talking about the cost of discipleship. And, um, you know, it, it's interesting, um, there was, uh, some of you might know who, who David Platt is, but in a, a news uh, brief blog that he writes, he wrote this, he said, we American Christians have a way of taking the Jesus of the Bible and twisting him into a version of Jesus that we are more comfortable with. You know, a nice middle class American Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism and would never call us to give away everything that we have. A Jesus who is fine with nominal devotion that does not infringe on our comforts. A Jesus who wants us to be balanced, who wants us to avoid dangerous extremes, and who, for that matter, wants us to avoid danger altogether. A Jesus who brings comfort and prosperity to us as we live out our Christian spin on the American dream. Quite a statement. You know, David Platt uh, wrote the, the book Radical, and, and I, I believe that he's on to something here. Um, you know, what does it really cost to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does it really cost? You know, it seems at times like it, it just costs a Sunday morning. And if you're really sacrificial, maybe a Wednesday night. But, you know, this, this morning, Jesus says in our text that it costs you everything. Everything. We're not called to comfort. We're not called to riches. We're not called to an easy life. But we are called to suffering. We're called to sacrifice. We're called to selflessness and death and lifelong obedience as well as proclamation. See, we are called to follow Jesus Christ and to be his witnesses. Read with me, if you will, in Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 31 and following, God's word says this. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not settling Excuse me, you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. 
And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in his uh, glory of his Father with the holy angels. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it challenges us. But I ask that even now your Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth, that your Holy Spirit would convict our hearts. Father, that, that your Holy Spirit would shine light on those dark corners of our heart where maybe the enemy is, has taken ground. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would examine us and, Father, that we would be obedient to what you lay before us. Father, we're so thankful for what Jesus Christ has done for us. And Father, we recognize his suffering. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to truly follow Jesus in that. Guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I'm sure that many of you here today um, like uh, or know someone who likes, uh, you know, a, a good buffet, a, a cafeteria, um, you know, one of the favorite cafeterias around here used to be Luby's and, and uh, maybe even Golden Corral, uh, you know, but, but uh, the reason people like those is because they have such a vast, you know, selection of food and they usually have a reasonable price. Sometimes it keeps creeping up there. But what I want you to understand today is sometimes I believe there are many cafeteria Christians around. And, and what I mean by that is that we like to pick and choose. We like to pick what we want and the way that we want to walk with God. The way that's comfortable for us. Maybe not what he's called us to, but what is comfortable for us. And, and you know, the, these cafeteria Christians, and, and, and there are times where each one of us could be in that category. And, and, and so we think about that. We want the parts about heaven. We want the parts about forgiveness. We want to hear about that forgiveness because we need that forgiveness. We want to hear about the abundant life. But you know what? Just skip the parts about suffering. I don't want to hear about the suffering. I don't want to hear that it's going to be difficult. I won't want to hear about personal discipleship or even the cross of Jesus Christ. I mean, when you stop and think about what it means as he says, follow me on the cross, where do you think our destiny is going to end up? On the cross. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to suffer. And I, I ask the question, why is it like this? Why, why do we pick and choose what we want to believe? And I would say this, that many Many folks have, have only heard the American gospel instead of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I mean, the American gospel is that you come to Jesus because Jesus promises you a better life now. Like, like right now, you can live a better life now because of Jesus, which is true. That the, these aren't exclusive. And if you come to Jesus, he'll heal your broken marriage. He will give you a promotion. He'll be a divine friend that is like this sweet teddy bear that cu- uh, comforts you at night. Okay? And, and, and we buy into that. You know, this goes back a little ways, but um, back in 2008, there was a TV preacher. He said, if you want a new job, if you want new kids, if you want a new job that you are sick and tired of the one you're in, God has a special word for you. And this is what he said. He said, if you believe what I'm telling you, just send in your love gift of $2,008. See, God says 2008 is going to be your most prosperous year if you simply respond by sending us a seed of faith gift of $2,008. You know what? I'll bet many, many, many people did that. I'll bet many people wrote out a check and sent it in. Because we all want to be blessed. We all want that. But those who buy into the American gospel remind me of the people that Jesus talked about in the parable of the sower. In Mark, if you just flip back a couple pages in my Bible, maybe you have to scroll back a little further. But uh, in Mark 4, verse 16 and 17, Jesus said this. He said, in a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, but they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution come, arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. Brothers and sisters, I don't want that to be you. I don't want when persecution comes, when suffering comes, that all of a sudden we're done with Jesus. We're following him. We're walking with him. I would say we also, uh, it's like this because there's a greater focus on our plan over God's plan. I mean, in verse 31 of chapter 8, he began to teach them they would suffer things and be rejected by the elders and the, the, the chief priests and the scribes. He would be killed and, and, and three days he would rise again. And he was talking this and he was telling them as plain as he could make it. And Peter was like, no, that's not going to happen, Lord, because you're the one who's going who's to take over. You're the one who's going to be the king. You're the one. We've already coronated you. We, you are the one who is going to do these things. And, and, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for you're setting your mind on, uh, you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. And that's exactly why we buy into an American gospel. Is because we have our mind set on the things that we want and not on what God wants. See, in a sense, Jesus rebukes Peter uh, because Peter is, at this time, being a cafeteria Christian. He's saying, well, no, Lord, you're not gonna die. We're not gonna let that happen. But what the problem is, is although he knew Jesus was the Messiah and the Son of God, Peter was not eager to hear about the crucified Christ. 
His mind was closed off to Christ who would go through much suffering. (laughs) When Jesus says, follow me, and he goes through much suffering, that means we will probably go through that too. The ridicule, the suffering, then dying on a cross for sinners. See, Peter was only thinking about his point of view. And he was hoping that Jesus would help Israel become conquerors. He didn't completely grasp God's rescue plan. He didn't understand why Jesus had to die. He was trying to lead Jesus instead of the other way around. We try to lead Jesus instead of the other way around. See, sometimes we hear, we need to hear the truth that's not comfortable for us to hear. But folks, it's godly wisdom. We need to hear it. Listen, it's, it's wisdom that is going to move us from a place of disobedience to the path of obedience. It's wisdom. When we see that in practice, when we understand, hey, we're not doing what we need to be doing. We're going to get on the right path. Folks, it's wisdom that takes us from disobedience to obedience. If Jesus would have listened to Peter, he would have taken the convenient way instead of the cross way. You know, sometimes even our closest friends, if they're not tuned in with God, they can mislead us. If they're not walking with God, if they're not tuned in with him, they can mislead us. Jesus said in Mark, uh, verse 38 here of chapter 8, he said, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Folks, there is no shame in standing with Jesus. There is no shame in standing with Jesus. There is plenty for us to be ashamed of, that's for sure, in our world. I mean, when you watch the news, we've seen the reports all the time about deviant, uh, perverted, law-breaking humanity. And the news stations seem to applaud this type of immoral behavior. But if people have the courage to live ungodly lives this openly... How much more should we as Christians be willing to stand up and live godly lives for Jesus Christ? We should. They're willing to put it out there. And instead of pointing our fingers at the world, we need to be pointing ourselves and others back to Jesus and back to his word. Folks, we need to plant our feet every morning in a biblical worldview. And that's where we need to end up every day, is with a biblical worldview. See, we need to view our culture, our government, our people through the lens of God's word. What does God's word say? Oh, I mean, are you ashamed? That Jesus said marriage is between one male and one female, according to Matthew 19, 4? 
Are you ashamed that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me? In John 14, 6. I mean, looking back on my own life, you know, looking back is 2020 vision. But looking back, I'm ashamed of the words that I spoke to some of my friends when I was in high school. I mean, instead of building them up, many times I tore them down. And though I considered myself a Christian, I wasn't living my life for Christ. And there wasn't much difference between my life and a non-Christian. You see, a great turnoff to the unbelieving world is the way Christians can repeat the words of Christ, but they don't live out and they don't live any differently than they do. It's like, what's the difference? They're the same as I am. And often we're like Peter because we're focused more on what we want than on what God wants. I would also say that we tend to put our emphasis on this life rather than the life to come. We're so focused on here and now. You know, Mark, uh, verse 36 says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Oh, I don't want to be that guy. You don't either. To profit the whole world and forfeit his soul. You know, in the year 1000, way back when, King Charlemagne's tomb was opened about 180 years after his death. And inside his, this tomb, they found the skeletal remains of the king, and he was sitting on the throne. <laughs> the crown was still resting on his skull. And a copy of the Gospels was laying in his lap with his bony finger resting on this text. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You know, I, I think about that and after all of the, the success of, of a king, he's saying, I, I would do it all so that I don't lose my soul. That's the most important thing. So what does it mean to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ? In our passage this morning, he says, Jesus said that to be his disciple, we have to deny ourselves, Deny yourself. And, and when Jesus speaks of denying yourself, he's not talking about, you know, giving up smoking or, or certain foods or saying that you have no, no self-worth. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying that to be his disciple, you have to surrender control of your life to his person and to his power. It means that when you face decisions in life, you make those decisions based on talking to him first about what's going on and then obeying him. That's what it means to deny yourself. You know, one pastor said this. He said, denial of self is placing yourself in the hands of God at all times. No matter where his hands may lead you. Let me be the first to admit this is not always easy. Sometimes it costs more than we're willing to pay. Our natural tendency is self first. Others second. Kind of reminds me of those 
two brothers who their mom was cooking pancakes and you know she she was making these pancakes and they couldn't wait to eat eat them you know and they, it was just a teachable moment and she could tell they were both just chomping at the bit and she said now boys what would Jesus say if he were here and they, well, they stopped and they were thinking about it and a little bit confused and she said Jesus would say my brother you have the first pancake I'll wait and so the older brother tells his younger brother he says John you be Jesus That's the way it is. As long as we're first, we don't care. We just want what we want. Deny yourself. See, that's completely radical and counterculture in our world today, which says put yourself first, put yourself on the throne. You take care of you. But you know, in Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible and the message, he says this, he says, Anyone who tends to come, intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. I mean, that's a good way to put this. If you intend to come with me, you have to let me lead. That's what Jesus is saying. Deny yourself. He also says in this passage, take up your cross. Take up your cross. And what does it mean when Jesus says, Take up your cross. It would probably be easier for me to tell you what he does not mean. Okay? Let's start there. Um, For instance, some would say, well, my neighbor's giving me a hard time. And, uh, well, that's just my cross to bear. Some would say, well, I have pain. I have arthritis. But this is just the cross I'm called to bear. Folks, this is not what Jesus is talking about. When he says, take up your cross. That's not what he's talking about. Here's what he means. He means to take up your cross means that you voluntarily follow Jesus, our Lord and Savior of your life. That you voluntarily follow him. When it comes to the decision of, am I going to do what I want to do? Or am I going to do what Christ wants me to do? We follow Christ voluntarily. Nobody's there to make you do it. It's voluntary. It's a decision that we make. Am I going to follow Christ today? And I think this is very important because it means that you've made the choice. You've made the choice that you're going to do his will no matter what. And I want to say no matter what, period. No matter what other people say, no matter what your friends say, no matter what other, others may say or do, it means you're going to follow his will no matter what. It also means you don't just wear a cross around your neck as a religious statement. And I say that because your very life is in him, is on that cross. Think about that for just a moment. It means that you are living for an audience of one. You are not living for yourself. The cross Jesus calls us to take up is that of obeying him now. Obeying him now. If it brings us suffering, it brings us suffering. If it brings us ridicule, if they make fun of us, so be it. 
If it means that it brings pain, physical pain, so be it, or family problems. For some, it may even mean death. But brothers and sisters, this is the road to discipleship. This is how we follow Christ. If you follow the world, you're not going to find real life now or in the life to come. But all my friends say, don't let your friends take you away from Jesus and his will for your life. Because your soul is too important. You know, Winston Churchill, he told the British people that, they, that he had nothing to offer them but blood, sweat, toil, and tears in their fight against their enemies. And Jesus spoke in the very similar terms about the necessity of total commitment, even to the point of death. He conveyed this in no uncertain terms when he told his disciples, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. He says, follow me there. I want to give you a few tips on helping to follow him. You know, the Christian life is a life that means Christ lives in us daily. You know, many people look at their Christian life as something that only happened maybe on the day they gave their lives to Christ. The day they were saved, I gave my life to Christ. But you see, the call of Jesus is to follow him daily, each and every day. And it involves lordship. And we don't understand lordship today. We don't, we don't, we, we're, we're, we're free, we, we can do what we want, we can go where we want. We don't understand lordship, Christ's lordship. You may ask the question, so, so how do I do that? How do I follow Jesus daily in my life? In order to follow Jesus, first of all, it means that Jesus is Lord of your life. That means he's in control, that means he's the boss. That means he's your master and so I, I need to get my marching orders from him each and every day. Now one way we can do that is by consistently reading his word. Daily Bible reading, if you will. I'm not talking about reading something to check off a box and to say, well, I've done my daily Bible reading. I've done this. I've done that. I'm talking about reading God's word so that you can understand what his direction for your life is. To be able to read God's word and to say, this is what I sense God is telling me to do. Because we can, we can read it and we can check off the box and we can say, yeah, but maybe it has not spoken to our heart. Maybe it has not filled the longing that we have or filled the answer that we're looking for. Folks, you got to keep reading until you find the answer that God has for you in that. We give up too easily. We need to read God's word and just like bread and water satisfy our body, God's word is vital for our spiritual life. And the word of God is where you find peace. It's where there's so much in here. I mean, you go back through the Psalms, you go through Isaiah, you go through some of these other books in here and it's just amazing because that's where you find peace. That's where you find direction. That's where you find hope. That's where you find encouragement is in the word of God. Folks, there's not a lot of hope out, out in the world. There's not a lot of encouragement out there. There's not a lot of direction out there. 
But you can find all of that right here in God's word. I mean, Jesus said in John 15, 7, he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish and it will be given you. He says, for my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, proving yourselves to be my disciples. It is in God's word that we find exactly what we need. Read God's word every day. Read it every day. Secondly, I would say pray. Prayer. It's another way to follow Jesus is through your prayer life. I mean, if Jesus, the son of God, needed prayer, his prayer time with the father, how much more do we? How much more do we today? Prayer is so important. You know, I, I remember I was, <laughs> I was in seminary and uh, I was, uh, my wife and I had five children and they were young. And I remember that, that we had five different uh, little league schedules going on at one time. We had practice, and then we had the game schedule, and we had you know all these other things. I had papers to write for seminary. I was I was just headlong into all of this stuff, pastoring a church, um, preaching each week, and you know it was interesting because we came out of West Side Baptist Church in Colleen. That's where we landed when we moved here from Oregon, but. One day, one of the deacons over there called me. His name is Deacon Roosevelt Gelsey. And he called me and he said this. He said, Pastor Ridge, he said, um, God's trying to get a hold of you. And he told me that in my prayer time this morning. As I was praying to him, he said, call Brother Ridge and tell him I'm trying to talk to him. And I need to get in touch with him. Now, I'm pastoring a church. I'm feeling like I'm in touch with the Lord. It would either take somebody that really truly walks with God to pick up the phone and call the pastor and tell him that. Or it's actually a word from God, you know? And I'm like, I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking, how do I take this? And, and as he's talking to me, I'm listening to him and he's saying, God's trying to get a hold of you and nobody's answering the door. He said, now, that's the word I've God gave me for you. What word has God given you for me? I said, I don't know. I'll talk to him and I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> Prayer is so important. It's vital. It's the oxygen we breathe. If the word of God is the food we eat, prayer is the oxygen that we breathe. You know, any good relationship takes time and communication. And we're going to be spending an eternity with Jesus. So now is a great time to grow in that relationship. So we need to read God's word. We need to pray. Um, let me talk just a little bit about church, um, fellowshipping with other believers. Um, you know, sometimes it's easy to get in the habit of not going to church. Okay? And, and let, me, let me say this too. There's a difference between going to church and going to worship. Amen. A lot of it has to do with the attitude of our heart. But what I'm talking about is we've got to get in the habit and be in the habit of going to church. Why not you be the one in your family that prioritizing 
prioritizes meeting together with God's people. You know, why, why not, um, no matter what, we're not going to debate whether we're going to church or not. We're not going to debate whether we're going to worship on Sunday morning. We're going. So get up, get ready, let's go. But the idea is, men, lead your family to worship. It takes men doing that. Leading their family to worship. Start getting everyone ready and prepared the night before. I mean, think about it. Don't stay up late. If you know you have trouble getting up, go to bed. Get some rest. Be ready to worship. Prepare your heart ahead of time. Hebrews 10.25 says, uh, Not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. So, If we're talking about church, I'm going to encourage you to attend the church where the Bible is taught, where Jesus is being honored in worship, where people are being loved and encouraged to find their place of service. That's a great place to be. Meeting and worshiping with other believers reminds me that I'm loved. It reminds me that my week has meaning, that people are willing to pray for me, and together we're accomplishing God's will. Now, if you don't like something about your church, do something about it. And here's what I mean. Don't make it known to everybody. Talk to God about it. If you don't like something at church, talk to God about it. Talk to him. And if you like something that's going on at your church, then tell everybody about that. By all means, make it known. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ooh. Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. Listen. Each and every one of us can make our church better. Maybe we're not actively involved. Maybe we just show up. Maybe we're not, we're not doing anything. Folks, a lot goes into what we do every week here at Memorial. There's a lot that goes into that. We're not just up here flying by the seat of our pants. We're trying to do something that in, in brings truth and value to your life so that you can take it out and use it in your daily life. And, and I, I, I can't say this enough. You know, you can make your church better. Talk to God about it. Get involved. Do something. Lastly, I want to talk about missions for just a moment. I'm grateful that our mission teams that we've sent out have returned. What a blessing it is. I, I hear great things about what has gone on. But folks, we are on mission every day. We are on mission for Jesus Christ every day. I mean... Mission life is the life of every believer because your job is a mission field. Your, your family is a mission field. Your community is a mission field. Your neighbors are a mission field. Everywhere you go, Jesus wants to shine his light through you. You are his disciple. So we're on mission every day. As I wrap this up, I'm gonna invite our worship team to come back up. And uh, lead us again in, in, in some worship. But you know, the call to be a disciple of Jesus means that you deny yourself, you take up your cross, and you follow him. 
You know, I'm old enough to know and to remember when Tiger Woods was learning how to play golf. And he said, I really don't know where the ball is going except forward and far. And over the years, he's worked on his game and has a little more control over his shots. And even though he's Tiger, he's still not perfect. You know, as disciples of Jesus, we'll never be perfect on this side of heaven. But Christian discipleship is developing a personal lifelong relationship with Jesus Christ in which he transforms your character into his Christ-likeness. He changes your values into kingdom values and he involves you in his mission in the home, in the church, and around the world. We're completely immersed in this discipleship life. That's why I'm talking about discipleship because it's who we are. It's not just what we do, it's who we are. For many of us, we would say, you know, well, we're not perfect, and that's right. Jesus is perfect, and we're working towards becoming Christ-like. And today, I would say, we have to begin with a willing heart. A heart that is willing to be taught and led by Jesus. And if we're doing these spiritual disciplines, if we're praying and spending time in God's word and fellowshipping with other believers and being involved in in his mission, folks, we're just gonna continue to draw closer and closer to Christ, but also closer and closer to each other. But today, he needs a willing heart. Are you willing to be willing? Are you, being, are you willing to follow Jesus Christ? I mean, you may seem like you're far from perfect, but keep following Jesus. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means that you put Jesus Christ first in your life and you're obedient to follow him as he leads. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. And Lord Jesus, I pray that this morning you would find willing hearts.